0: Welcome, Screensavers. I'm Michael Gallet. I'm Matt Sturdivant. I'm Tyler Sutkus. Together, we host the Silver Screensavers podcast, and today we are talking about Vengeance, the directorial feature debut by B.J. Novak. One announcement before we begin, an exciting one. We, the Silver Screensavers, now have a website... Just go to your URL, type in silverscreensavers.com. You can find full written reviews there, links to our socials, our tea Public store. The site is noon. We're going to be adding a lot of reviews and articles, some other features depending on what the listeners want and what we see. Uh, so there's a lot more to come. Once again, type in silverscreensavers.com. You can find it all there. All right, moving on to our weekly watch list. Matt, what have you been watching this week?
1: So I haven't really watched a whole lot. Um but Tyler and I were able to check out Terrificon down at Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. Caught some cool Sweet. panels with some, a couple famous actors and a famous comic creator behind the boys, Garth Ennis. Um, a couple actors we got to see. We got to see Joel Pantoliano. The, um,
0: oh my god. Yeah.
1: That's incredible. Took the most
0: vile character in The Sopranos and made him the best.
2: You know, he, he looks so different that I'm like, oh, yeah, that was who he played. <laughs> like, I could not yeah. place it. I'm like, who's this guy play? And I'm like, he's saying the name, and I'm like, that's not the character I think it is.
0: <laughs> Man, Risky Business, Bad Boys, Sa Oh, God, I love him.
1: <laughs> Goonies. Goonies. He, uh, he talked a lot about the Goonies while he was there. That's cool. Uh, it was cool. It, I mean, it was, it was was it was basically just people asking him questions and him giving little anecdotes. I kind of felt bad. It was the beginning of the day, and they didn't quite have the sound fully figured out. I don't yeah, think in the room, terrible. it was wow. super quiet. Um, so I felt bad about that. But overall, that was pretty cool. And then we also got to see Dave Foley give a panel as well. <laughs> hey, I like kids Dave in the Foley. hall, Bugs Life, more yeah. more little anecdotes. It's just, I mean, for me, it's just cool to see someone from like Hollywood or. Yeah, someone from, like, Hollywood just kind of waxing on for an hour about their career and listening to people ask questions. Some of these questions that people were asking were real, real in-depth questions, too. Like, real, Yeah,
2: some like people were like, I have, a, I have a question for you. It's 15 parts. Wow.
0: <laughs> yeah, they got, they got to write it down as they're asking
1: it. And then, there obviously, there were some duplicates. It's like, why did you do it this way? Oh, because cause I liked this. Oh, but sure, why man. did you do it that way? Ah, uh, because I liked it. Like... <laughs> Um, but it was, it was cool. It was, it was really cool. And just walking around, we got to hang out, um, met up with a couple of fellow podcasters. We saw the guys from So Wizard. We met Stu from Stu World Order. It was, it was pretty rad. It was a good time. Um, besides that I did watch Sin City, which I hadn't seen in years. Do you like Sin City? I tell you what, it gets a lot of praise and it is a very well-made movie. It's got a good aesthetic to it and I... I I like it. But I also... Going back to it, I don't like it as much as I remember liking it, if that makes sense.
0: No, that makes total sense.
1: Like, I mean, a solid, gritty action noir. It's Frank Miller, Robert Rodriguez directing. Actually, Quentin Tarantino co-directed some parts of it, too. I'm not yeah. sure which ones, but... um, I love the anthology style of storytelling. I would have said before on this show... um, And, and this is... A really good way of doing it where you have the anthology and it all kind of loosely ties together but each segment is also I think it could easily stand on its own. Some of the language and themes are a bit dated, I yeah. would say, and that's my biggest gripe with it. I think they use the F word at one point. Not not the F word the you know that they use the F word. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah, they used the F word at one point. They got Hardigan and uh, was it Nancy Callahan who were like really big age difference there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so some of those themes are a bit dated and kind of not my taste. But overall, as far as just the production quality and the way way it looks and the way it's acted is really good. And speaking of the acting, by today's standards... But I'm sure even by the standards back then But this cast list is absolutely stacked From top to bottom mm-hmm. I made a list of just like Several Over over a dozen notable actors And that's not even scratching the whole surface So I'm going to rattle those off real quick So we got Bruce Willis, Jessica Alba, Clive Owen Mickey Rourke, Rucker Hauer Benicio Del Toro, Michael Madsen Nick Stahl, Michael Clark Duncan Devin Aoki, rosario dawson Carla Gugino, josh hartnett britney murphy elijah wood and nick offerman among others i don't remember him being in that he was one of the like thugs that was trying to hijack the car toward the beginning during oh, the barf segment I see. yeah it was like blink and you miss it like i heard his voice and that's the only reason i was like is that nick offerman and then i looked uh, it up and it was
0: which segment is your favorite
1: um, the one with Elijah Wood, the one where he's like the creepy killer guy. <laughs> that one, that one's gnarly. <laughs> and that one's yeah, gruesome. I, I, but I, I love it. That was, that was the Marv segment, right? That was Marv that did the whole, uh, what he did to him. I think it was. I believe so, yeah. yeah. I,
0: my favorite is when we first meet Mickey Rourke's character. Yeah. Uh, cause it's like just fresh enough into the movie where, and it gets really exciting. Um, but I, like you said, later on I get like a little tired of it as it goes on, but yeah, the style is incredible. I, I really like Sin City. Tyler, what have you been watching?
2: Uh, I didn't watch too much this week either, but I did watch Leon the Professional, a movie I haven't seen in a few years as well, and I, I love that movie. Um, I think it's just an awesome action movie. Um, it's basically about this hitman who... Ends up taking in a twelve-year-old girl whose family was just murdered by corrupt DEA agents, and he basically helps her, like become a cleaner, as he calls it, to help take down the DEA agents. Um, but it's it's a really stylish, um, like thriller more than an action film. But um, it's absolutely incredible. I think it's an Portman's first role. She's really good in it. I do have problems with how they have her role, um, but I mean what she does with what she's given is incredible so uh she, she seemed like a star in that role for some, being so young in that um but definitely there's some issues i have with it specifically the treatment of natalie portman's character but other than that i think it's a really good movie it's a cool action movie and i definitely recommend it uh, you can say that
0: about yeah you can say that about a lot of her early roles is yeah. that she does a lot with uh roles that hopefully we we don't see too much anymore yes uh, I watched a couple of new movies. One of them is called "You Are Not My Mother." This is on Hulu. It's about. It takes place in Dublin. It's in the weeks leading up to Halloween. It's about a teen's depressed mother disappears, and when she returns, it becomes clear that she is not the person who left. Right, she is acting freaky, doing all sorts of weird stuff. Written and directed by Kate Dolan. I believe this is her first feature, so this is a directorial debut, new director spotlight i like this movie quite a bit it's one of those movies where you feel comfortable spending time in the setting with the characters it's a mix of drama and horror but the drama is much more successful than the scary stuff is much of the movie deals with the protagonist char who's played really wonderfully by hazel dupe uh who wishes she could have the happy version of her mother back but she has to deal with her mom's depression and then some intensely manic episodes All of that stuff is really good and kept me going. Like I said, never really mixes with the horror that well. It's the weak spot. The thrills aren't very scary and didn't feel super necessary to the story. The most harrowing thing happens in the very beginning, which is not a great sign for a scary movie when you don't build up the tension. Regardless, though, it's a good story here. It's a good vehicle for talking about times when our loved ones feel like they're different people and you kind of just want that person back you want to be in the good times kind of like what one of the things they talked about and everything everywhere all at once
1: uh i recommend it like i said it's on hulu if you're interested in that when you said that it has the most harrowing thing at the beginning of the movie and doesn't really recapture that through at the end is that kind of what you said yeah is that fair to say i felt that way about midsummer and when you when you said that that kind of reminded me of it
0: i think that's a very fascinating point um and without giving too much away for anybody who might not have seen it i would mostly agree the beginning is pretty like oh my lord this is i feel so uncomfortable right now and the Mm. rest of the stuff is freaky but yeah i think that's a great point um yeah, I can't wait to talk about Midsummer with you guys. That's, that's a really interesting one.
1: We need Disappointment Boulevard now so we can talk about it. Yeah, yeah.
0: well, I was trying to cut it down from 10 hours to 7, so I <laughs> might not get that for a while. I also watched another new one. This one is also Hulu. It is called Not Okay. This is about a lonely young woman who fakes and posts photos on social media to make people think she's on a trip to Paris. But when a terrorist attack happens in the real Paris, where she isn't, but people think she is, she tells everyone that she was there, she survived this bombing, and she really capitalizes on her fake trauma. This is written and directed by Quinn Shepard. This is her sophomore effort. She directed a movie, Blame, in 2017. This movie is decent. Most of the characters aren't... They don't feel like real people, I'll say. They feel like impressions of what we think hip young people are if Mm. that makes sense it's a little too far in that it takes the gen z brush and just paints over the entire movie so that it never quite feels like the real world and you know i'm sure we'll be mentioning that again
2: oh no in a couple of weeks (laughs) i think it just might be
0: uh i don't know about that stay tuned for bodies 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 you know after that comes out the word bodies is just like banned for the rest of 2022 it's done i don't even care if (laughs) it's in another context
1: what what about our retrospective of the movie warm bodies
0: never saw it the first time i'm not judging it but i never did you have you seen
1: that yeah i saw it in theaters how was it i remember liking it oh all right
0: maybe then (laughs) um i'm sorry i'm sorry to not okay for that for that digression this movie it has some good things to say about like social media as an extension of ourselves of our persona how it's almost like a full-time job to have an online life um also about how trauma is dealt with in the modern public how you know, some people, how many people sometimes view it as others using a currency or a way to gain attention, and the main character does that here. It's not a great watch. It's interesting enough. Uh, Zoe Deutsch is really great as the woman who fakes being there at the attack. And she is juxtaposed with this other character played by Mia Isaac, who I mentioned either last episode or the one before, who is great in this movie, Don't Make Me Go. She's good in this too, and her character has experienced some real trauma. Um, The movie poses the question of why someone like Zoe's character, Zoe Deutsch's character, is the protagonist of the story instead of somebody who has experienced real trauma, like Mia Isaac's character. And that's a great question, but then you turn it on the movie and you go, okay, then why isn't Mia Isaac the star of the movie then? Why isn't her character taking center stage? Um, And there are different answers and implications to that. It's a bit of a messy film. I enjoyed it for the most part, um, and it, it does make some smart points. So if you're into that kind of thing, that's on Hulu. Before we get to talking about Vengeance, there is one other thing and that is that the Batgirl movie, which was nearly done, is being shelved. Matt, what are your thoughts on
1: this? I mean, I'm only speaking from what I've read so far. Um, I mean, I wasn't that excited for it in the first place. I mean, I wasn't... I didn't want it to fail or nothing. I would have been probably... I would have seen it if it had come out or been released in some way. But one of the things I read is that allegedly Warner Brothers shelved it in lieu of releasing it in any way so they can take a tax write-off for it. The cost of the production. The monetary cost of the production. Never mind the cost of people's time, resources, and... You know, the fact that these people could have been producing the movie could have been doing other things if they were just going to have their nearly finished product shelved. I think it's absolutely... The whole thing, I think, is just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Tyler, what do you think?
2: I just want to say, because I wasn't really familiar with this movie until I was reading into it, I remember hearing it announced really a while back, and then I remember seeing the first shot, and I'm like, that looks like crappy cosplay, like, that looks like CW-level thing, so I'm like, what is going on? I did not know this movie was almost entirely made, because I hadn't heard a thing about that since. I thought they hadn't even started yet, like, that they were just in pre-production, so I was shocked to hear that, and it was supposed to come out at the end of this year, which I was like, what? What? But this movie didn't have any presence at Comic-Con or anything, which was weird when it's, like, coming out in a couple months. um, And, like, no announcements made whatsoever. But also, just, like, the the whole thing about this is so sketchy. Like, with how WB is. Because they were bought by Discovery, or they are merged with Discovery in April. And now, all of a sudden, like, all these things are being shelved and all this. And, like, I guess this guy who's the new CEO is, like famous for cutting costs and stuff and it's like what is going on here like hbo max is suddenly like they like it's probably going to be dissolved and put into there they're not going to make any more content for hbo max really weird what's going on with warner brothers right now
1: yeah cutting costs but also cutting like half of more than half of the good content if they're cutting hbo max hbo max is one of the best streamers out there it, it's literally
2: it's a weird decision um I, I get because they're trying to keep HBO separate from Warner Brothers, which whatever I don't I don't really know the um, intricacies of what what that means, but just in this movie sense that the fact that this was supposed to be a streamer they they filmed this saying it was going to streaming and then they came out and like no it's going to get a theatrical run and then they just cut it all together like what is going like it's so weird to me like I don't know this business in and out obviously so maybe this is more common but you you couldn't if you were releasing it as a streamer you couldn't think it was gonna be your big money like huge money maker and then you're cutting it saying you won't make back your money now you're not gonna show it at all
1: well that's 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 what bothers me so much about it it's like regardless of how, what the quality of it was gonna end up being i i just feel like for them to you know treat everyone that worked on it and as like a number basically
2: mm-hmm
1: it just yeah it it rubbed me the wrong way
2: it's it's just odd that like this movie got no marketing whatsoever and then i like i didn't know it was supposed to come out this year until i read this article
1: well yeah i mean i knew it was supposed to be coming out but again i think they i think they probably knew they were going to shelve it sooner than they announced it like well well sooner like before comic con yeah. at least
2: why you're 90 million in and you're like okay let's but that not well do this.
1: again cuz they they want to do a tax write off and that apparently that's what the people's because how much how much of the produ- production like how many of the people involved in making this movie are going to see a piece of that tax write off not exactly None. and that's the and that's the problem it's like the, this has been in, in production through covid al- allegedly you know all these people producing it and working on it you know it's supposed to be you know a star vehicle for leslie grace essentially there's another uh, you know a return another return to the screen for Brendan fraser among others michael keaton as batman was supposed to come back like there were supposed to, there were a lot of like cool things that were supposed to be going into this movie i'll
2: i'll be honest with you i don't think this movie even existed because like how did we not see a a set photo or anything from this we didn't get anything from this it's supposed to come out in a few months
1: well okay so my conspiracy theory brain kind of kicked in well as i was typing this tweet out i was like you know what i didn't even really care that much about this movie it would have been cool but i didn't really care about that much about this movie but now with what warner brothers is pulling i want to be first in line and then i thought about it like wait a minute they can't be manipulating us like that. If gonna, I swear to god if they if they come back and they're like, "Oh, well we're okay, we'll release it like they did with the Snyder cut."
2: I'll be a little I'll do. be a little
1: I I mean, I maybe maybe that's my like crackpot prediction here.
2: They're going to they're going to release their own streaming service, Warner Brothers Plus, <laughs> and be like see the new the the unreleased Batgirl. <laughs> <laughs> It'll
1: just be Batgirl Plus. That's the only thing streaming on it.
0: <laughs> it's a really complicated thing. One, because as we're recording this, may I'm sure there will be more details by the time this is released. But as we're recording this, this is very fresh. Like today, all this stuff is coming out. Um, also, I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of information that we as the public will not see. Um, but as you said, it's it is unfortunate for the people who worked on it for Leslie Grace as you know, if you're a Batgirl, even if the movie's not good, which I'm not saying it wouldn't be, that that's guaranteed exposure, right? That mm-hmm. that is really great for somebody's career, so that's unfortunate. Yeah. It, reportedly this thing was supposed to cost seventy five mil. It ended up being like ninety million. Um like Tyler, like you said, supposed to be on streaming then it seems like there is a convergence of multiple clashes at the moment one being now that warner media and discovery are converging there is this debate about is our future going to be on streaming or do we want to go back to a mainly theatrical thing there is the financial issue of you know if it's more financially sound to shelve the movie instead of release it then of course they're going to do that I'm not saying that that's right. That's up to individual judgment, but that's their job is to do that. Again, not saying it's right. Um, right.
1: And I think if for for them the financial aspect, I mean, I I get from a business perspective, if the number if the number is better for them to shelve it than it is to release it, we're in a capitalist society. Of course, they're going to go for whatever either gets them the most money or loses them the least money. But I think at the same time, the people involved in the production should be entitled to at least a portion or some kind of compensation for the time and work that they put into it. And there's no clear details right now as if they're going to get any of that.
0: Yeah, I they may or may not be. I just don't know.
2: This this text write-off, if this is the true story. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean that's alleged.
1: Reported, I'm not but... trying
2: to say it is. but If it is, what that seems like a law that's easily exploited because like what do you need to get this tax write-off do you have to show them a full clip that this movie did indeed get made because like what's to say like they didn't just hey we spent 90 million dollars on this movie we're not gonna release give us 90 million dollars for taxes please
1: (laughs) well yeah yeah i suppose we should take that rumor with a grain of salt at this point
2: I mean, I believe it. I'm sure there's but a lot I, of that going on. But well, that's
1: again, we're we're in a capitalist society, so we're you you gotta assume that that's gonna be the case.
0: Yeah, we can cover this on our sister pod, the Silver
1: Litigation Savers. <laughs> more details there. <laughs> Sorry, I just it it re seeing a lot of the headlines about it and reading about it, just kind of. No, I, I think mean, it's I, a great think, thing to bring up. I I think it, you know depending on how this works out it has a ability to kind of set a precedent going forward cuz i'm sure this isn't the first time something like this has happened but on this no. scale it's it, i think it was worth
2: i sorry to keep bringing about. it up but i i think it is a precedent a scary precedent for filmmakers that if like they just think you know you make a movie and they just you have a contract to do this and then all of a sudden they're like you know what, we don't think this is going to do well so we're just going to shelve it and take the tax write off the filmmakers screwed in that sense. So I think yeah. that's scary for them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And everyone involved in making the film.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Um awaiting awaiting more information unfortunately. But to transition to another complex moral situation, we're going to move to talk about vengeance. Vengeance is about a journalist named Ben traveled from New York to Texas to attend the funeral of a woman he hooked up with a few times, though her family believes they were in a relationship. The deceased brother believes it was a murder, and when he wants to hunt down his sister's killer, Ben records the search so that he can turn it into a podcast. This is written and directed by B.J. Novak. This is also a new director spotlight. This is his first feature. Obviously, he's done a ton of writing and directing and producing um, a lot, most people know him from The Office as Ryan Howard, did a ton of behind-the-scenes work on that. Matt, what were your general thoughts on Vengeance, and would you
1: recommend it? So, I, I liked this movie a lot. I, I, I really did. I went into it kind of middle of the road. Like, I thought the trailer had some cool uh, little effective bits of, uh, of comedy, and I think it set up the narrative pretty nicely. Um, but I went into this, and I, I, I was invested the whole time. I was laughing when I was supposed to. I was really trying to unravel this mystery as our protagonist is. You know, going back and forth between, was she killed? Was it an overdose? You know, it, it gave a lot of good evidence to each side up until the final finale when we find out what happened. And, um... I just think it was very solid as far as like the narrative goes. Like it was a good like fish out of water with some black comedy elements to it. Um, I thought the writing was pretty clever for the most part, and um, like I said, the mystery was pretty intriguing. And I I definitely recommend it. It's it could it could make it into my top ten depending on how the latter half of the year goes. But uh, I I really enjoyed it. Sweet Tyler.
2: Um, so I definitely recommend this to people. Um, I think it's a pretty, um, like, a, I don't know how to word this, but, like, it's a movie that I think a lot of people will like rather than, like, a select few. Like, sometimes with movies you got to be like, well, if you're a fan of this, you know, you can like it. But I think it's a pretty wide audience can enjoy this movie. I, I like this movie. I think it was a pretty smart movie for the most part. There were a lot of spots I just felt it was kind of bland and kind of dragged a bit that could have been trimmed down. Um and i also this is the strangest criticism i've ever had for a movie but i think this would have been a better more effective movie if they cut out about the last 15 minutes of the movie just cut it off oh, not I can't even wait changed to talk it about
0: that. just cut it completely
2: yeah. off and i think it would have been had better message cuz like it i built up a commentary in my head and like as a twist came towards the end i'm like that's you know what like i don't like that but that's smart i like that and then they just kind of turned it around again for and I'm just like, oh, I don't know. That kind mm-hmm. of invalidated what I thought this whole thing was leading to. So, you know, if they took out the last 15 minutes, I would have been fine and probably liked this movie more. But I did like this movie, and I recommend it.
1: I um, I I also want to add, I thought the runtime was, uh, besides like like you said, the end, the last 15. You're right, the last 15 minutes does kind of feel a little tacked it, yeah. on. But for the most part, I thought the runtime was was appropriate. No, on, like, I have a no problem with the
2: runtime. I just mean the, the plot twist towards the end could have been completely gone. Yeah. I think it would have been better. I also, this has nothing to do with the movie, but I had the weakest audience I think I've ever had in a theater for a comedy, and I think the only parts people laughed at loud are were all the trailer bits. All, all the jokes <laughs> in the trailer were what made people laugh. Everything else, like when it's on, online, I think I laughed myself, and no one laughed, and I'm just like, oh, I thought that was clever. <laughs> yeah, it was, <laughs> it I,
0: was, it was, was. pretty funny. That is an issue with modern comedy trailers. The, the life of the comedy in the 2020s is some, uh, something that deserves its own discussion. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. I, I was also laughing consistently. My brain was going a mile a minute mm-hmm. through this. Uh, as a pure watching experience, just super enjoyable. I totally recommend it. It took a lot of unexpected turns, like it, more than you think it would. Uh, in, mm-hmm. like even late in the game, early in the game. I like the unique idea of it, the construction of the story. Where my mixed feelings come in is that this movie, Tyler, you said it dragged a bit. I think kind of the same and kind of the opposite in that it's almost too busy. It's like trying to deal with 90 million ideas in an under two hour movie. On one hand, some of them work very well. Ideas about paying attention to other people, about trying to do something good within societal restraints. And the barrage of ideas, the like overload intellectualness of it made sense because I feel like the whole movie reflects upon what it feels like today in the world sometimes where you get so information at so many different times, so much information, I should say, that you don't know what to believe in or where to place your time and energy. It's just like info overload, conflicting info overload all the time. On the other hand, it does feel a little bit overwritten at times, and some of the basic story conventions suffer because of it. I do recommend it, like I said, because it's a great example of one of those movies where you can just watch it as a pure entertainment vehicle, but there are a lot of things to dig deeper into if you want to, but you don't have to.
1: I um, What I thought was just kind of bizarre about this movie is like they played it ahead of... Some of the other movies we've seen recently, but it also wasn't showing as widely as you would think for a movie that was shown ahead of like Nope, it's I think very it was. Weird. Um, like, I had to go out of my way a little bit to see this one, and so I'm afraid that it, uh, it might be a victim of underexposure because I feel like more people should see it.
2: So, I just want to bring my experience with it so this i did see this in a cinemark but i lived much closer to a bigger cinemark that it wasn't showing in and i had to go to a smaller cinemark to go see it which i thought was odd yeah why is it playing in the smaller one i don't
0: i don't know my like stupid brain theory was that the one that you had to go to was in a college town and if college students want love one thing it's sitting on their tiny beds Flipping open a laptop and watching The Office, they love
1: it.
2: <laughs> yeah, hey,
1: that's and they, The
2: Office guy.
1: <laughs> yeah, they needed um, they needed an extra theater for or an extra showing of The League of Super Pets. <laughs> hey, it's the number one movie in America. But speaking of The Office, yeah, that that is probably one of my biggest gripes about this movie, and it's not the movie's fault. It's not BJ Novak's fault, really. It's just the fact that I I'm a huge Office fan myself, and I cannot unsee Ryan Howard when I see BJ Novak even in like Inglorious Bastards (laughs) like well part of
2: it
0: is (laughs) that he hasn't
2: aged a day well yeah sure he looks the same
0: and also it I don't I don't want to start comparing him to Ryan but I I thought this was a very good self-cast from Mm -hmm. BJ Novak in that he's he's somebody who presents as friendly and you can have a nice interaction with him but he's also pretty self-absorbed. He's kind of a jerk, but you wouldn't really know it at first. I thought he mm. gave a really great performance. I, I laughed at a lot of his mm. lines. And like even the ones that I had seen in the trailer, uh, like the Texas football fandom thing, that, that still made that me laugh because so it was really <laughs> funny. <laughs> and it got even funnier when you watched the whole thing. Yeah, 100%. I think everyone in this movie is pretty great Though I I don't think all of them get as much as they should have. For instance, uh, the, the woman who who Ben was hooking up with that his family thinks was date her family thinks was dating is named Abilene. And Abilene's brother, called Ty, played by Boyd Holbrook, I thought he had some of the best line deliveries in the movie. When he's talking about like the car and the hybrid car and the gas stuff, like that was great. <laughs> I didn't find him to be an entirely believable character in the fact that I thought he was a little simple and I thought the whole family were not that they were simple, but I had to like remind myself that this was a family who was just dealing with the death of a young woman in their family. And it just, it like never seemed like that. There were like Mm -hmm. a few mentions of like sadness and, but like it, it just seemed like he was going for a family reunion and they were embracing him. I, am I off base there?
2: No, I, I see what you mean by that.
1: I mean, maybe that's how Texans are.
0: Yeah, I don't doubt that, they, that they're that they like that. It was just like in the context of a young woman dying who they were close to, they just seemed like a little bit regular, if you know what I mean. Yeah, 100%. Uh, but they, they were really great. We got Dove Cameron, Isabella Amara, J. Smith Cameron... Uh, John Mayer, funny beginning scene. Uh, him, and, him and BJ are waxing poetic about relationships. That was a very, very impressionistic take on what it's like for me to converse with anybody at any time in which I don't really know what they're saying. I can get bits and pieces and I can spit a little bit back, but I don't even know what I'm saying sometimes. Yeah, yeah. 100%. yeah I'm going to go out on a limb and say that this is the most I have enjoyed John Mayer in a movie I think the last time I saw him in a movie was Get
1: Hard Oh,
2: so yeah fair enough
1: yeah yeah. so this is definitely the most I've enjoyed not a high bar to cross this this is the most I've enjoyed John Mayer (laughs) (laughs) and and maybe it's because he was
0: only in the movie for a few minutes I know half of your heart belongs to him, so don't even act. (laughs) Uh, This guy, Zach Vila, as Sancholo, the character, wonderful scene. That was like a Mm -hmm. microcosm of what the whole movie is like, where you have one character who presents a certain way, and then you just get a completely different story upon a little bit of closer examination. That is what this whole movie is about. It is all reversals. And it's an idea that I think could be cheesy... But the movie handles very well, and it's that like when you take the time to listen to people and to learn about who they are as a person, you tend to gain more affection and gain clearer perspective on who they are. Not that it necessarily ends, though. This movie does a good job of presenting both sides of that spectrum, the good and the bad. Uh, We'll save the bad maybe for later, but one of the most heartbreaking things in this was uh, Abilene... Mostly appears in like videos and photos and stuff like that. But her texts, I thought, were the most impactful thing. Where mm-hmm. when she was alive, she was texting Ben asking him to watch a video of her singing, and he is just kind of like brushing her off because he couldn't watch a three minute video. And I, I thought those were the most heartbreaking things. Novak does a really great job of acting regret on his face in yeah. those scenes. Yeah. 100%. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't commentary. <laughs> I have a couple of story
0: questions for you guys. Why does Ben go to the funeral without like much coaxing? Was that believable? Cause I, I needed like half a scene more yeah. for me to believe that he flew to Texas. I,
2: I yeah. agree with that. I thought that was a little rushed just because of the convent like I get it'd be awkward to be on the phone like that but then to just immediately go like it's very <laughs> weird because i mean to get to book a flight to get on a flight is quite a quite a like a venture like it's not like something you can yes. just do in a second so yeah. like it, it was a little unbelievable
1: yeah it felt a little rushed but also i knew that's what the movie was so i was willing to forgive it because I mean,
2: the mo- there's more to the
1: movie a... than that it's not a deal breaker or anything
2: I don't think that's a fair thing to be like, well, that's how the movie needs to happen. Like, I mean, make it a little more convincing. You're, 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 This is the whole idea of the movie. You gotta give a reason why you went down there other than just like an awkward phone conversation.
0: I have to agree with both of you in that I do think it, it could have been a little bit better. At the same time, this movie really moves with such speed that so really many great. like uh, nitpicks, which I do have some and other stuff, you just have to put them on the back burner. And it really is so enjoyable that you can just, like, brush past that stuff. But, yeah, I, I was, like, a little... And the other kind of big thing that bothered me was the question of the relationship between Ben and Abilene. We get an answer later as to why her family was, like, so convinced of there being a close relationship. But I was like, I do they have no suspicions about this guy that they've never seen, even over a FaceTime? You know what I mean? And then I was wondering... How long did the family think that they were together? Where did they think he was? And maybe I just missed this. Did they ever give a reason why Abilene went home? Because she lived in New York? That's where she hooked up with Ben, but then she's back in Texas telling her family all about Ben. I, I
2: don't, don't remember a they reason gave for a that and she just had a video where she was like, "I'm back, but
1: I thought it was why. I thought it was to go record her music or was that oh, with uh sellers, Yeah, yeah. that
0: could be. I, I might have remember, just missed it, but I do not
1: remember if, if that see if her doing music with him was before she went to New York or after.
2: Yeah, I was confused on that too because didn't she go to New York to make it as a singer and then went back to Texas yeah. to record and then send it to Ben? Yeah, know. I'm not sure. Oh, that
0: that could be because she knew the guy in Texas. All right, that that's fine. But um, also,
2: I, what I don't understand with the twist of who the I won't spoil it, but How did they get Ben's phone number to call him? That's a
0: great question. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Because that's also a big thing is that Ben can't get into Abilene's phone. Can the family get into her phone? Also, if, uh, as another spoiler, but if they called Ben, they might not be calling Ben. If you know yeah, well,
2: that's yeah. So mm-hmm. that's why I was confused. But also, he did. They did say they couldn't get into his phone because they said like every Geek Squad in the state couldn't. Oh him. yes, yeah. you're right. You're so right. They couldn't.
0: Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, there are, there are some nitpicks, uh, but yeah, they the, the as the the Issa Rae character, she is Eloise, who is Ben's producer friend. She's going to make the podcast for him. She tells him that it's good to have ideas. But you have to couch ideas in a story so that people will listen, which was an interesting thing Um, and also is kind of like the formula of a good movie. We often see this, especially towards the end of the year when there are some more, I don't want to use the phrase, but some more Oscar-y movies which are not actually that great. Sometimes they are just really great ideas and stories on their own, not great films. So that that was an interesting little parallel that I saw. I also liked how this movie dealt with content creation and like we're so hungry all the time. All of us are creators now. Personal technology, if people are fortunate, is in their hands. So we're always looking for things to turn into content instead of just like letting things happen to us in life, which is it creates this weird cycle because you need to live life in order to be creative, right? You need something to create from. So if you're just like kind of this creative vacuum, then what, what material are you actually drawing from. Sorry, that was a little, um, a little highfalutin. So I apologize for that. One That's specific right. thing I loved, I love that he made fun of like the purple prose descriptions of the environment that you have to get in so many Books and stories of like (laughs) the flames of the sun are falling upon the Texas way and you're like oh my god (laughs) some of it's fine but it's like too much please stop so I love that Hmm.
1: yeah I thought a lot of the writing was clever and a lot of like the commentary on on real things was pretty effective like I read some reviews calling it pretentious but I, I really didn't think it was that pretentious
0: no and i feel like pretension was almost not even it was almost baked into the story yeah because it's about this guy who is really just trying to capitalize on a young woman's death to boost his own reputation and like basically call everybody that she's involved with stupid and use their what he thinks is stupidity to make a story for himself
1: right but i mean maybe he learns his lesson. That, that, I'm trying that not to spoil That will be an it. interesting discussion. <laughs>
0: uh, it, there was an also, with the idea of being like creators, whenever he was interviewing somebody, whether it be law enforcement or a family friend, they were always enticed by the idea that it was going to be made into a story that people might hear, right? Sometimes they were reluctant to help, but then when it's like, oh, you might get a little bit of recognition. It was like, oh, okay, let me help you then. Like, I want to be out there, which is really this really intense inherent need that we're seeing more and more in movies now. Not that we didn't see it before, but in in the age of um, anybody can be a star, at least for a short bit, we're seeing that so much. I thought this movie did a pretty good job of not valorizing the people, but also not demonizing them. It gets a little bit messy i think it plays a bit too far into the like dumb southerners stereotype just a little bit it also but it also makes fun of ben for thinking that we get this this fun joke with Chekhov's gun and the sister like shows her knowledge of checkoff's plays and shows that ben is ignorant the i'm a writer not a writer scene i love that, that scene so funny. much
1: that that killed me yeah so
0: that's dying <laughs> but like even in that scene you know he he gets called out for his assumptions about the people there, but then it's also not that, you know, the it's a pure culture because at that rodeo, right, we get the Confederate flag being flown and we get uh, the the anti-Semitism happening towards him, um, and that's amidst all this affection and hospitality that they're embracing him with. So I I don't know if it's always successful, but I appreciated that Novak was trying to give three dimensions to all the characters, but it's messy. It's messy. I don't think it's perfect. All right. You guys ready for spoilers? I'm ready. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. So we are going to get into spoilers for Vengeance in just a moment after a word from our podcast friends. Hello, I'm Anthony.
1: And I'm Dr. Issues. And we're the hosts of Capes on the Couch, the podcast where comics get counseling. Superheroes don't always get to go home happy. That's where we come in. We offer psychiatric and mental health evaluation of comic book characters. We also chat with some of your favorite creators. Al Ewing. Erica Schultz. Gail yes, Simone. Philip Kennedy Johnson. Chris Claremont. About their work on comics. So check out all our episodes at capesonthecouch.com and follow us at Capes on the Couch on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hashtag, Hashtag because, because Comics. comics.
0: All right, we're back with spoilers for Vengeance. You know who we didn't mention at all, guys, who I think does some of the best work of his career? Oh, I know who. Ashton Kutcher. Yes.
1: Yes.
0: He's fantastic in this. Like, wow, you you really got me. Maybe we should start with the record scene where Ben goes to visit him because he knows that he previously worked with Abilene, and he is giving this young singer this whole speech about how her voice is going to be a scratch on the record of human history and in another movie you could really just write it off as like oh that's the cheesiest thing ever that's an after school special kind of thing but the whole point is sincerity right afterwards uh, the character Quentin Sellers I believe his name is asked Ben you came here to make fun of me didn't you And it really calls out Ben because he knows that Ben is just making fun of the people there. And he's like, you're not above it. You don't have to be ironic. You don't have to be subversive. Like, just tell the story. So I, I really like that scene.
2: I, d- I did really like that scene as well, and I just want to call back to something you mentioned earlier, which was, like, the facial acting of B.J. Novak. I think it's really on point in that scene. Like, when he first starts giving that speech, you see him kind of, like, roll his eyes, like, oh, this is right. pretentious garbage. But then, like, as he keeps going on, he's like, oh, this is actually kind of profound. And he, he displays that, whole, like, you could see exactly what his emotions are without him ever speaking. So, so I think that was really good.
1: I also think, thinking about the scene after knowing how the rest of the narrative goes... I think it holds a whole other weight to it. It really does. Mm-hmm.
0: The other thing I loved about that was that, again, you might laugh at a guy who is in rural Texas who has a record recording studio, but it was nice that he said that he wanted to come back and do it in an area where people really needed it, right? Everybody goes to certain spots, New York, LA, where they want to be artists, but he wanted to put something in an area where a lot of people either. Probably might not ever get out of there. So it was nice. But again, it, it takes a turn. But <laughs> in the scene, I enjoyed it. Especially because there's something really special about having a record of the work you've done. Right, If you're a singer, you sing all the time. But it's nice to have that recording of like, I did this. This is something special and cool. So I, the third act. Let's get to the third act. This is where everything takes the ninth turn that it takes. The car explosion. He's driving back to his car, eating the, what was it called? The Fritos? The Frito pie. Frito pie. Have you guys ever had that? No. I have, yeah. It's actually pretty good. Oh, okay. Frito pie. We'll have to check that out sometime. Might have to record from Texas one day. But he's eating Frito pie. The car explodes. Who did you guys think it was? Did you guys think it was anybody?
2: So I thought it was just a prank. I didn't know who did it, but like when he's like some boys messing around with Tannerite, right? I thought that was the explanation.
1: Oh, I missed that. I, uh, I think that was the point where they were still kind of pushing you toward thinking it was some kind of cartel activity with with drugs and whatnot. So that's kind of what I thought it was. Like he was getting too close to a, to the cartel.
0: It's interesting because. This is a murder you kind of forget that it's a murder mystery because there's so many other things going on and there are some really nice human scenes. But it's a murder mystery. And there aren't a ton of red herrings in this. You know, they they introduce the cartel thing with Sancholo, but then like that's pretty quickly like, oh, it's not him. Maybe it's somebody else in the cartel, but we know it's not this guy. So I I I would I don't really know who it was at that point. It ends up being the guys who didn't like his football fandom
1: <laughs> that scene. I just love that scene. It's in the trailer, but when <laughs> it just goes to show just how to, how out of touch this guy is, but he's, he's trying his best to fit in. Yeah. I, <laughs> I do really love that. too. I, I loved it. Um, and then of course later when he's doing the whole writer versus writer thing and the guy calls him a pretentious a-hole like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> <I'm ascending. laughs> Whatever. But again, that was, like,
0: right (laughs) after that guy being, like, a very subtle anti-Semitic remark to him. So there's just, like, animosity all around.
1: (laughs) This movie is just so cleverly written. I have to say, though, as impactful as that scene was with Ashton Kutcher's character, I have to admit, with all the other stuff going on in this movie, I kind of forgot about him for a while. I I I, did, too. And and that's one cool (laughs) thing I think this movie did is that, you know, it... It throws a lot at you, so it's easy to get lose track of what clues are there and who is a player. So that's why I think the ending was as effective as it was for me.
0: It, and I was so charmed by him in that first scene that when it, it turns out the way it does, I'm like,
2: ah, oh, I got, got.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I feel like a yeah. loser now.
2: I, I still think it would have been effect- if more effective of a movie without the whole... We're spoiling it, right? Yeah, yeah we're, we're in spoilers. spoilers. With, okay, without the whole Ashton Kutcher ending scene of him being the quote-unquote killer, not really. But, like, I just thought that it felt like such a Hollywood ending that was so unearned that, like, like BJ Novak's character, didn't earn, Ben, didn't earn that ending, in my opinion. Um, it just kind of felt like it was like, okay, now we need to throw a cathartic ending on this that, it, like, people will like... But I liked it more if it cut off with he found out they were lying to him about the daughter's drug habits and like, oh, she never touched anything. But then they did. And I kind of took it. My commentary at that point was like, but I took it to be like a kind of a commentary on like the true crime thing. And sometimes people look way deeper into something than it is. Like maybe it's it's much more simple than it is. And I thought that was a much better, more effective message to come out of it, it was like I looked into all of this and it was all for nothing like, you can look deep into anything, but then when they made it actually a conspiracy, I was like, oh. Well, you, you, okay. know, you know what? I, I see your point, and I think that would have been a cool ending,
1: but this movie is called Vengeance. Someone's got to get their vengeance, and I don't think they have did. to. I
2: think it was more the... the yeah. They should have called he, it Comeuppance,
1: because it. it's a cooler word. I mean, he... I I think it was... I, I do think it was earned personally, because, I mean... You know, the family invited him down there innocently enough. You know, they just wanted his help trying to find the killer. And, you know, he kind of had a change of heart by the end and really started to bond with the family and then obviously, you know, they had the falling out. So he's just feeling worthless. So he feels like he needs to really make up for you know, kind of the wrong foot that he started the whole narrative in. So I think yeah, it was pretty cathartic to see him get the vengeance that the family and by this point he wanted to get for this innocent woman's death.
2: It was cathartic and I won't dispute that. I just don't think it was earned because he just openly murdered a man and like that just so out of touch with the rest of the movie. I mean... At that, but then that kind of
1: opens the door for the whole commentary of like, you know, if he had brought him to justice, there'd be a spin on it and then it would end up bringing more chaos to this family that doesn't deserve it. And I think, I mean, yeah, it's, it may not send the best message, but I think in the scenario, it's probably the best decision he had to finally just give closure to this family.
2: Yeah, and you're talking about in the, in, in the terms of the movie, and I agree, but I mean, I just think it would have been much better if that whole scene was just not included at all. Like, if it just ended with him I, at the, after the Whataburger scene.
1: I don't know, I, I liked it. I liked what he did with it, but, I mean, to each their own. It
0: did feel like it came out of left field. What I will say is that I love that the ending is untraditional, at least nowadays in that it is not morally conclusive. I don't think that Novak is saying that what Ben did was right or wrong. I think he is leaving that up to the people that see it. And I really appreciated it. Uh, But I just want to set that up for a second. We learned that Abilene really was a drug addict and that she wasn't, she tricked her family into thinking that she was talking to Ben, who in essence was just a guy from New York at the time that she knew a little bit, but she wasn't really talking to him. Um, I really like that the twist we get on Abilene. So we, learn, we get to know Abilene in a couple of ways. At first, she's just the girl that he hooked up with. Then we get to know her as a singer, as this lovely sister, and that makes Ben kind of like fall for her persona. And then we get the fact that she, as an addict, she really was deceptive with her family, deceitful. But it doesn't make her a bad person. You know what I mean? It just it complicates her. It doesn't make her the angel-turned-devil. It just turns her into somebody complicated, a real person, who unfortunately is just never going to get a chance to explain themselves or explain their own story.
2: No, and I I agree with that, and I do think the ending that we were given does do that better than just kind of leaving it to, oh, she was an addict, so it's fine, like, she died because of it. So I do think that would have been a a harder thread to pull, or a harder thread to leave off um, in her sake. So I do do agree that I think it did that well in just showing her as a victim and not, like, a bad person for what happened, like, she was the victim there. So I do agree that, that the ending we got did do a better job of doing that. So when the
0: ending came, I did feel like it was... I'm like, oh, this almost feels like a different movie. Like, it has Mm -hmm. a different pace to it. So we we learned that she did overdose. That was true. But it was that she was left in, what was it called? The after party. Yeah. Um, She was in, like, Quentin's drug den, and then she was left out in the field to die.
1: Yeah, because it was strategically placed between, like, at the crossroads of four different jurisdictions... So, that that was one of the big threads that we didn't really touch on, was, like, when he's investigating and law enforcement is, like, keep sending him to each other. Like right, because different... they
0: they're not eager to help. Yeah. In fact, they get in the way of any sort of progress. Uh, but Ben thinks that he gets Quentin, or catches him, by recording him, which I don't... If you catch evidence like that in the moment with somebody who you've just learned is running a dangerous drug den, do you show them and you're like,
2: "Ah!" (laughs) ha-ha! I thought that was dumb. Uh, Hey, I got you on tape.
0: uh, That's fine. Uh, But he does. All right, he does. But then we get this monologue from Quentin where he talks about the bleakness of story response, of internet discourse, how... Internet discourse is like a circle of hell in its own where some people are going to say something's good, some people are going to say it's bad, and then everybody's going to flip their positions around and around un- until there is just oblivion. So he knows the opinion will turn his way at some point, which I thought was a very interesting thing to bring up because we do see it a oh, lot.
2: I, I, I don't even know if he meant it turn his way I think he just kind of meant it would be so polarizing that like it wouldn't matter because like everyone's gonna take a side regardless and then at the point they're not even taking it for a reason they're just taking it to take it and then like it doesn't matter who was the bad guy because there's such a polarized response that nothing matters because everyone disagrees on everything anyway well
1: right that's what I'm saying it, it would just create a whole bunch of chaos and then eventually he was saying I believe he was saying it would eventually turn on the family yeah, and exactly. you know, it'd bring a bunch of extra drama and heartache and headache to the family who really doesn't deserve it.
0: Yeah, and I think this discourse theme is also touched upon and well in Well and Don't Look Up, but we'll move on beyond that. I, I don't think anything was touched
2: upon Well and Don't Look Up.
0: Ben has the gun. So he he has the gun. He has The person who's responsible for the death in front of him he knows that law enforcement is of no help he knows that his story can't really help so he knows that nothing of consequence is going to happen through traditional means so he shoots him right that's that's kind of what happens he kills quentin knowing that he's going to be okay because law enforcement isn't going to do anything how did you guys react to that in the moment,
1: in the, in the moment, I thought I had a lot of thoughts about it. I I was conflicted, obviously, because I'm I'm I I was at first I thought it was a little far fetched. I was I was a little bit conflicted because obviously, you know, killing in a traditional sense is not a good solution. But in the like I was saying before, in the context of the movie, this is really he built it up and made it. In such a way that if this was the best solution given what the other options were. And it's, you know, obviously morally conflicting. But he gives the family the closure. He eliminates him from being, Quentin, from being able to do this to anyone else, which he was in the process of doing, actually, with the girl that was in the studio previously in the film. Mm-hmm. You know. So, I think... I think it was, in the context of the movie, the appropriate action, as morally obscure as it is.
2: Yeah. So, oh, good. Oh, I was just going to give my first thoughts. So, so, like, my first reaction was, yay, like, I'm glad this happened. I'm glad he got instant <laughs> yeah. justice. It's a very yay. movie reaction. Like, you know, I'm just happy that, like, the like, like bad guy got punished, kind of thing. Yeah. But then, like, you, know, you hear my later thoughts. I've already said them.
0: Yeah, so it. It does seem like a traditional thing, but I think there's a lot of layers here because it, it poses a lot of moral questions that, again, I think Novak just leaves up to us, right? One, you have to ask yourself, is Quentin a bad guy? And I think most, a lot of people at least would say yes. What he's doing is wrong. And then two, you have to ask yourself— but does he deserve to die? Does he deserve to get shot until he's dead? Which is really a question of capital punishment. Yeah. And what you think a necessary solution in that case is, knowing you probably won't have the support of the authorities.
1: Yeah. And I, mean, I mean, to play devil's advocate for a minute, I, it's really not on Novak's character to be judge, jury, executioner either. Right. But there is also the and, fact that law enforcement is not doing their due diligence and they're not being of help. So it's, In it, oh. it, I was going to say, it's just very complicated.
2: Well, in a movie sense, I think it's very, like, you know, your first reaction is, yeah, the bad guy got killed. But like, in real life, I don't think that's a crime that should have been met with instant execution. Like, it that's right. such an unreasonable punishment for what he... Like, he's doing a bad thing, absolutely. But how many people would say... Say if he went to trial that day, how many people would be like, okay, let's kill him on the spot?
1: Well, like, you could not... Listen, you could say that about Get Out, too, if you think about it in real-life terms.
2: Well, I mean that's well, yeah. I mean, I'm saying like it's seeing this versus movie versus life. I'm saying I know,
1: but I'm but I'm saying you could you could apply that logic to plenty of movies.
2: You could, but okay. But the whole point is he's kind of doing that. He's kind of bringing the moral into it. Hmm. Like you could say that about like any movie, yeah. But <laughs> the point is that he's bringing up the morals in the movie of it.
1: I get what you're okay. I get what you're
2: saying. Yeah, it, it is.
0: You're right. It is that question of, even if you think he's a bad guy and this needs to be stopped, is that the proper way to go about it, given the constraints?
2: I just want to say, also, what's important is the context of it. Like you said, get out. They're brainwashing and torturing people. Like They absolutely deserve to be executed. This guy is technically not doing anything. He's just providing drugs to people who are willingly taking them.
1: And dragging people to leaving them to die, though.
2: Yes, but in that thing, is that an instant death sentence that he should get for that?
0: Yeah, it's very morally inconclusive. Yeah. Uh, which is what I very much like about it, because I feel like a. And this is not, like, an indictment on on any other movie or anything, but I feel like nowadays we get a lot of messages at the end of movies, and we get, like, a lot of righteous protagonists or, like, bad. You know, characters kind of doing final things. But this is an action that a character takes that is understandable in the moment. But like I said before, I don't think Novak presents it in a way of like, this was absolutely the right thing to do. And yeah, I think it's a no, thing it that is made understandable in the context of the story but there is room for a lot of discussion as to whether that is actually the right thing. So I like this ending a lot. It did take me a minute to kind of accept it as part of what came before, but I kind of like that because it's it's very easy in this movie as the jokes are cracking and as there are great performances to kind of like get ready for this thing to coast into the murder mystery conclusion as a lot of movies do, but then it adds on this extra layer at the end that I I was just impressed by. I really liked it. Uh,
2: I don't know if this was supposed to be, like, a thing, but did you think anything of the fact that, like, he didn't do anything about the girl that was being dragged out and ended up ODing while he was in the tent? Like, he just killed him and walked away, leaving Mm -hmm. that girl behind? So, like, it's almost like he went to avenge a death and then just stood by as another one happened?
1: I, I can't say that didn't cross my mind. I... I mean, it didn't show what happened with her. We don't know for sure that...
2: Well, they they radioed over, we got a girl OD'd out here, and then they said Ann Quintin-Seller's been shot in the head. So, okay, well... Over the radio, so they did say she OD'd.
1: Okay, now, my interpretation of that part, which I actually forgot about, um, my interpretation of that is I thought he was the one that called the police, or put in the 911 call. I kind of got that vibe.
0: That could be. It also brings. And also, doesn't mean
1: just because she OD'd at that point, doesn't mean that she's necessarily dead at that point.
0: True, but it it is a question of he does walk away. Also, it's not as though Quentin is a one-man operation. I'm sure there were other individuals who could come in and take his spot. Which again, it's a cathartic ending, but is will it actually yield positive? results for that community going forward. Who knows? Who's to say? We don't know the movie ends. Uh, I We do get this kind of like CODA-ish thing to it where... Ooh, CODA! No. Where <laughs> where Sharon, played by J. Smith Cameron, she is the mother in the family. She talks about regrets. You know, Ben makes up with the family, and she talks about, oh, how oh everybody's going to have regrets You just gotta make sure that you make the right regrets count. I I thought the conversation, that was the part that felt a little bit tacked on to me, but it it does make sense in the fact that like it's a question of is Ben gonna feel good about this thing down the line, but we just see him riding away and we don't know and that's the end. Hmm. I don't know. I I really like Vengeance. Good movie.
1: Yeah, like I said, the my biggest, uh, the big, biggest disheartening thing about about it for me is that it, I feel like it wasn't as widely shown as it should have been. Yeah. Again, maybe that was just a hiccup with our local, cinemarks, but.
2: I don't know. Focus features doesn't even know what kind of movie it is because they're advertising <laughs> this as a horror thriller. I, so... I told you it's
1: because it, it's because Blumhouse produced
2: it. <laughs> but, I mean, you don't even talk to, like, you don't, like, how are you going to just go, like, oh, Blumhouse must be a horror thriller, let's slap that on and put it on our website. <laughs> like, which,
1: I mean, <laughs> I, w- I was honestly a little surprised when I, when I saw the Blumhouse logo, I'm
2: like, really? Me too. <laughs> I'm like, they produced my favorite movie of the year, Firestarter. <laughs> I thought it was the black phone. Firestarter.
0: <laughs> so this came out this weekend. Um, the weekend of, I don't know what the date is. 29th. The 29th, thank you. And, um, excuse me. And so far, it seems, according to Box Office Mojo, it's made about two and a quarter million bucks, which is quite low and quite disappointing. Uh, because i would like this to make a good amount of money bj novak says he has another script in development that he says is even more ambitious than this one but matt you're absolutely right it's a it's a bit of a peculiarity why this isn't more widely available it is a pretty middle of the line enjoyable movie i i think most people would enjoy it it's not super genre it's not super specific and it's, it's just a good time.
1: It's almost as much of a travesty as Body's Body's Body is not releasing widely on the 5th. Like it should. Yeah, that's true. Cyrano will forever
0: be, I think, my <laughs> biggest release. Tra- that was that's such nonsense.
2: I mean, there's like a, there's a big difference between a movie you have to go to, like, an indie cinema to see, and one night, like, you have to go to a different vert. Like, it, they're the same. Company, yeah, true. Just a smaller location that you have to go to. It's so bizarre that they'd be playing it in one and not like the bigger one.
0: Yeah, but people are going to see where the crawdads sing. So what are you going to do? Sure, we
2: need screens for the where the
0: crawdads. <laughs> we need well, where the crawdads sing. Pause of Fury, the Legend <laughs> of Hank.
1: Don't forget Super Pets. Super Pets made a decent amount of money. I, I, I mean, I, will... I mean that was a shoe in I mean, it's animated. It's got animals. It's superheroes Hall. I, I was reading Hurt.
2: an article and I just want to support this because this is a position I've held for a while just an off, off comment on this movie, League of Super Pets hire voice actors stop putting celebrities in voice acting <laughs> roles please
0: I also don't always get it and I think I've mentioned this before I think I mentioned it with Pause of Fury is that you know, kids know some celebrities but when they list these big famous casts for these movies that three year olds are supposed to go see, <laughs> I, I I don't know any three year old that's gonna be like Alan Arkin. All right, like I, I don't think that Samuel that's
1: Samuel L. Jackson, yeah, the whole, Brooks, the yeah whole, Mel Brooks, yeah, Mel Brooks, mother, father, love, cocker but, spaniel,
0: right. But like three year olds just don't. I never under. Is that like for the parents of like? Oh, I, I have to like that. If all those people are involved, I'll take my kid to that. I'm assuming that's what it is.
2: But what three year old is, is like psyched by anyone in that thing? Ricky Gervais, Michael Sarah. It's, it's, for,
1: the, it's for the parents that uh, they bring their three year old to see *Paws of Fury*, and then after that, they show him *Pulp Fiction*, and they're like, "Hey, hey, it's the it's the master from *Paws of Fury*," and they're like elbowing. Him. I'm like, "Hey, that's the guy." yeah do you see the guy that was the guy in all the leather in the basement oh uh, speaking of pulp fiction another thing that happened at terrificon i almost brushed shoulders with phil lamar
2: it's true he was was
1: literally right next to us wow that's exciting by us yep could you hear him was the volume appropriate yeah he no he literally was 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 literally walking by yeah and and someone was like someone was like hey good night Phil I look over and it's Phil Lamar. <laughs> like, hey
2: have a good night <laughs> that's Phil Lamar.
1: Did you guys take any pictures? Not really. I got a couple pictures of Joe Joe Pants, but other than that, I didn't really take too many pictures. It was pretty overwhelming, honestly. The crowds were. It was see,
0: yeah. The crowd was insane. I'm also not big into having to pay to meet somebody slash take a photo with them.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. the panels were good, I would not pay to just be like, hey, let me take a selfie with you.
1: Yeah, I had a... Like I
2: paid for that.
1: Yeah, I had a Pulp Fiction screenplay book I thought about getting Phil Lamar to sign. Oh, that'd be cool. But then again, I'd be like, hey, you got shot in the face in this movie. Can you sign this book?
2: I mean, I don't think he's going to be like, I oh, have trauma from that movie, I got shot in the face. <laughs>
0: hey, John Travolta hasn't eaten a Pop-Tart to this day, so... <laughs> True.
2: Yeah, when Phil Lamar walked by us, like, "Hey, Phil!" And we accidentally shot. It's like, "Oh no! I just shot Phil in the face." <laughs> uh,
1: well,
0: this this is exciting. Twenty twenty two. We've said it before. We'll say it again. Shaping up to be a good year. In August, we got some good things coming. We got Bullet Train, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. We got Beast. Uh, we got three thousand years of longing coming at the end. Uh, we'll do a fall movie preview sometime, maybe late August, early September good stuff so any final thoughts on vengeance or any of that other stuff
2: so i just want to bring up because you said it was like a, a wide audience movie so i took someone to see this who hated absolutely hated everything everywhere all at once who really liked this movie mm-hmm. <laughs> so there you go yeah yeah she, she said i redeemed myself in my movie days, oh
0: because because so. you made everything everywhere all at once I did, yes <laughs> <laughs> clearly All right, well, if you, the listener, have any thoughts on this, you can please write to us at silverscreensaverspod at gmail.com. Don't forget to go to our website, silverscreensavers.com. Once again, silverscreensavers.com. If you like the show, tell tell a fellow movie lover, rate and review on your favorite podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at screensaverspod, and our Facebook is silverscreensaverspodcast. Matt, where can you be found online?
1: You can find me over at Maddie X Sturds, S-T-U-R-D-Z. That's on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd.
2: Tyler. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter, at Tyler Sutkus. And you can find me on Letterboxd, at Tyler96.
0: And I can be found on Instagram and Twitter, at Michael underscore Gallet. And on Letterboxd, at MGallet. Well, thank you all so much for listening. We're excited to see you next time.
1: 100%.
2: Stay down to bone. Silver
1: Screen Savers Podcast was co-created, written, hosted, and produced by Michael Gallant, Tyler Sukiss and Matt Sturdemant, with additional editing by Matt Sturdemant, intro music by Charles Michelle via Pixabay, logo design by Nathan Seidel.